I've said it before and I will say it again. If you have a little one from birth all the way up to having recently completed second grade, uh, we would invite you to head out the door to Children's Church. For the rest of you, we are glad that you are going to stick around with us today as we continue on in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Today, as we continue our study, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses of Deuteronomy chapter 12. So I'll give you a moment to turn there, and as we read the scriptures, we want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And God speaking through Moses in Deuteronomy, we hear these words. It says, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate the names from that place. You shall not act like this towards the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all of your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling and there you shall come. There, shall, there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. I think that's it. Yes, please be seated. Sorry. I got done and I wanted to just keep right on reading. My question for you to kind of start off our time together this morning is, have you ever cut a corner? And maybe you're kind of wondering what I mean by that. And it's, have you ever taken a shortcut? Have you ever skipped a step or used a cheaper product in order to get a job done? Have you ever settled for good enough in some sort of task? Maybe you were building something. Maybe you were fixing something. Maybe you were baking something or creating something. And you, you, you went for good enough or you went for easy over doing what was 100% by the book. I am sure the answer is yes, because I am sure that there's not a single person in this room who has not in some way, in some form, at some time in their life cut a corner in order to just get the job done, in order to just make sure that it was good enough. Now here's my follow-up question. Have you ever cut that corner? Have you ever gone the easy route and it has led to a disastrous outcome we find ourselves stuck in a bad in a bad situation the finished product not being what we intended it to be i think often of food 
using cheaper products, cheaper ingredients, or, or, or trying to supplement one thing you have for one thing you don't have, and it ending up being something disgusting. Or because you cut that corner, because you went the easy route, you end up hurting yourself or hurting someone else because of what you did. I was reading not that long ago about a building that collapsed in Bangladesh about 10 years ago. This building held, you might remember it, it was kind of a big deal when it happened. The building itself held two factories as well as a meeting place for the owner to conduct business in the building. The owner was a corrupt and powerful man in this district of Bangladesh. He was known for his political influence and how he used his money to gain power and influence in the area. Because of his political influence, because of the power and the money that he held in that community, he was able to, to sneak through and to bribe his way past building permits and safety measures in order to build a building as big as possible, as cheaply as possible, and then fill it with a factory that would make him more money. He cut as many quarters at corners as he could in the building of that factory, both in, in the way it was designed, in the materials that were used, in the structure, and in everything related to a safe working environment. And so this man had this building, had, he had his, his, his meeting areas on the first floor, he had one factory on the second floor, and he had a, another factory on the third floor of this massive building in Bangladesh. And then one day... As he was there, they heard a loud pop. And one of the buildings, one of the floors of the building immediately evacuated. It said that when they went to check on what had happened, that they went into to this floor, this factory, this part of the factory of one of those three floors, and they looked and the supporting beams, the supporting pillars of the factory had cracked. And the giant pop was hearing these, these pillars that were literally holding up the entire building had cracks all over them where they had just, just in one second just gone pop and just all of these cracks had formed. They called in a city engineer to look at it and he told them that, that they needed to evacuate the building immediately. But this man was not going to be out his money. And because of his power and because of his clout, he convinced not only the city, but the engineers and all those involved that the cracks in these structural pillars were merely superficial. And work resumed the very next day. Almost immediately after this event, the entire building came down with everyone inside. It killed thousands. And it was totally avoidable. It was a horrible tragedy. And all because of cutting every corner he could. Like other areas of life, we too can, really in all other areas of life, we too can be tempted to cut corners and that includes in our walk with the Lord and in our worship of God. Our passage today addresses this temptation in the life of Israel as they begin to go into the promised land and to, to take their inheritance. 
And I think it would benefit us today a great deal if we would take a moment and listen to the instruction that God is giving to Israel through Moses about the worship of him and how they ought not cut corners when it comes to him. All of this can be summed up in in the statement, which is the title of our message today, which is Seek the Lord. And I would challenge you today that in our seeking of the Lord, let us not try to cut corners. As we dive into our text this morning, the first thing I want you to notice is that God's command to Israel is to completely remove all the places where the other nations that are currently there, the ones that they are going to dispossess, worship. He is telling them they are on the, on the brink of entering into the promised land. They are going to be taking cities. They are going to be taking towns and villages. And he says, when you do this, you are to utterly destroy everything that represents the worship that is taking place in this land in Canaan at this time. Notice in in, in your Bible, all the words that get used, crush, annihilate, tear down, remove. There is an idea here that there should be absolutely no evidence that anything else was worshipped in this nation once you take hold of it. As we think about the land that they are about to possess, this is the land of Cana. And in in this land, at this point in time, before they enter in, there are all all kinds of gods that are being worshipped. As we read further into uh, the Old Testament, we hear of gods like Baal and Asherah, of Dagon. and, And even in the midst of kind of these more popular ones, there was all different ways that they worshipped them. They had statues or idols like we think of. They had altars and place to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. They had poles like the Asherah pole that that was literally a a piece of wood that came straight up out of the ground. They mentioned high places and sacred pillars. There was all of these things littering the, the, the land of Cana. And they were all these places that they would worship. We could realize that they probably had places where like the entire nation, the entire tribe would worship. There was places where individual cities and individual groups were worshipped. Even in homes and in in the, the places where one family might live, personal sites, there would be altars and places of worship. I can only imagine that it would have been very, very tempting For the Israelites, as they entered into new cities and new villages, as they took over ownership of farms, as they went into the promised land and noticed, hey, this guy has a really nice setup already. He's got a nice altar. He's got some nice utensils. He's got a a really cool place that you can kind of focus your worship and attention. Why don't we keep what's here, clean it up really good, Take off the things that that aren't about God, about Yahweh, and just use this. That seems to be a very reasonable and pragmatic thing to do. After all, it's already here, and God gave us this land. Why not use it? It's a dangerous idea, isn't it? But when we look to the scriptures, we recognize that God has forbid them to do so. See, Yahweh does not want to be worshipped in the same manner that the Canaanites had worshipped their gods. 
He calls this nation to worship Him in the manner that He wants to be worshipped. It is a fight against what might be pragmatic or what might be convenient for the nation of Israel. When we think about this command, I think we have to take a step back and look at ourselves and how we worship even today. God says to Israel, you shall seek the Lord at the place that your Lord, the Lord your God, chooses from the tribes. You shall establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. God reveals to Israel that how he wants to be worshipped, and this, sh- this call should make us look at God's revelation on how he wants to be worshipped today. In other words, we want to worship God the way God tells us He wants to be worshipped. Amen? Now, when we think about this, that if we want to to worship God the way He tells us that He wants to be worshipped, that means we need to look at His revelation. We need to look at His Word, and which means we need to stop looking at the world and what it tells us we need to do. We need to stop looking for what is easy, what is popular, or what we have always done. But as we gather in worship and as we worship God in our own lives and in our individual walk with the Lord, we don't get to go to God and say, God, I think you'd really like this. Instead, we have to look to the Word and say, God, what do you tell me that I should do to worship you? And, you know, in your, you might be in this room and you might be looking at me and be going like, well, duh. But how often do we, even in our lives, let slip out things like, well, I think God is. And it's ironic because most of the time when I hear people say, well, I think God is and I think God would like and I think God understands, we always assume that God sees things the way we see things and that God is somehow like us and and God gets us, I want to say it this way, God gets us in a way that he understands if we're just going to do it our way. But that's not how this works. And the reason I say that is because last time I checked, God did not put any of us in this room on the throne. He didn't put me on the throne. I don't get to tell God how I'm going to worship him. I don't get to tell God, you know, what my heart's going to be like and what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. I don't get to tell God when I'm going to fulfill the Great Commission and when I'm not going to fulfill the Great Commission. I don't get to tell God when I'm going to love him and when I'm not going to love him. Because I'm not the one on the throne. And so when God tells Israel, when you go in there, I want you to utterly destroy every other object of worship that that exists there, and then I will tell you how I want to be worshipped. We need to think about how that relates to our life. In your life, what are the objects of worship that are not God? Is it your stuff? Is it your retirement? Is it your job or your occupation? Is it your family or your significant other? Why are you letting that remain? 
Why are you cutting that corner? And what do you think are going to be the outcomes of you cutting that corner, of you letting that one altar in your life stay? I'll give you a spoiler in the Scripture. Israel did take the land. Israel did conquer and drive out the Canaanites. Oh, but wait, they didn't utterly destroy the altars and the poles and the high places. And it was to their detriment the entire time the nation of Israel existed. Jesus said it this way. He said, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. See, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That means is that what God is not looking for people who worship him because they follow a certain tradition. God is not looking for people that worship him because they worship in a very specific place. But God is looking for people who worship him with everything with their whole spirit in the fullness of truth, he is looking for people who worship them, him completely and not worship him while still keeping an idol or an altar or an Asherah pole in the back of their heart. But those who worship God will worship him in their spirit and in the truth. After God gives Israel this command, we also see that God challenges them to change their current habits as they come into the promise. And this is good news for us today, by the way. Because if you're here today and you're thinking like, wow, he just came really hot. And I'm feeling very uncomfortable and I think this guy's kind of rude. You're not wrong. But I want to give you some good news. God was fully aware of Israel and where they were. And you know what? God was fully aware of all the times leading up to this point where they had rebelled and they have had made idols and they had made mistakes. And he, go, and he tells them in this passage, he says, listen, you're not there yet. But when you get there, this is the standard. This is the expectation I have for you. If you don't believe me, look again at verses 8 and 9. So as we go into, into Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8, he says, You shall not do all that you are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not yet come into the, the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. So he acknowledges that fact. He says, listen, you're not, you're not there yet. You're not going to do what you're doing today, but that's because you're not there yet. And it's kind of an, an interesting, as we think about this, in, in this command to seek the Lord. God is telling them how they are living now is not going to be the life they are going to have in the promised land. And this means more than just the fact that they're living this nomadic lifestyle and they're living in tents and they're traveling around. And then at one point they're going to have, in the near future, they're going to have farms and homes and cities that are already built for them. That's not what he's saying at all. And we see that because of the statement he says, where all of you are doing what is right in your own eyes. For the record, in Scripture, when God says everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, in the Bible, that's a bad thing. Now, we didn't always got that in the United States because we feel like everybody should be able to do what they think is they want to do. But unfortunately, here in the 21st century... We're starting to realize that if everybody just does whatever they want to do, it doesn't turn out too well, does it? There's a whole lot of crazy going on in our world right now. 
And we could say all the reasons why it feels like there's a whole lot of crazy going on in our world, but I'll give you the simple reason. Everybody is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. That's a problem. And he's addressing that. He's saying, listen, at this point in your life, you're doing what is right in your, in your own eyes. You've rebelled against Moses several times. You have seen the results of rebelling against Moses and all that stuff. You've rebelled against God with the, the golden calf. You've had all these things. And even now, you're not living how I want you to live. But when you get into the promised land, that is going to change. See, one of the things that we have to understand is that even though we are not there yet, God is working a change in our life. And this is something I think is important for us to always remember as we are walking with the Lord, is that the more we seek the Lord, the more we pursue God, the higher the standard ought to become. And if you don't like that, let me ask you this. Do you expect me to be here basically every Sunday? Yes or no? Why? Because I'm the preacher. This is not hard questions. Because I'm the preacher. And you expect a level of commitment from me because I have been called to this role. Right? Get it? The more you begin to pursue Christ, the more you surrender your life to the Lord, the more you seek Him, there are higher standards. There are higher expectations. I will never forget the day, as long as I live, the night I broke curfew. And when I broke curfew as a high schooler, I didn't just break curfew. I annihilated curfew. My curfew was 1 was o'clock one in the morning, which is not going to be your curfew, Laney. Uh... My curfew was 1 o'clock in the morning. I was not some junior varsity curfew breaker that showed up at 1.05. No, if I was going to break curfew, it was going to be 3 in the morning. Don't do that. I lived, I'll never forget the, this time I broke curfew, and it's 3 in the morning, the moon was full, and we had a white house with a white door. And, and as you, I walked up, I got dropped off by some friends who were idiots, but I didn't know they were idiots at the time because I, too, was an idiot. Um... And they drop me off of the house and the moon is shining beautifully on the, in the front of my beautiful white house. And I get out of the car and my not so smart friends decided to be really funny to peel out of the road uh, as they left my house that morning. And they left and as I'm walking up to the front door, and I know many of you have heard this story, as I'm walking up to the front door, that big white door on that big white house suddenly goes and opened for me. And as I looked into that door that was lit up by the moon on this bright white house all i saw was darkness and i knew my death was imminent and as i walked into that door i was struck by lightning and when i came to on the floor i was invited to go sit on the couch and suddenly my parents were there and as we were having the conversation about how I had, had, had broken curfew and what was I doing and have, did you have any idea what this would do to your mother? And, and, and we've all heard it, I'm sure. And if not, you can call a new pastor next week. Um, when it's all said and done, I finally asked the question. I said, where's Tim? Tim is my older brother. And they're like, he's not here. And I said, well, then why don't you, why don't you yell at him? Why are you yelling at me? And they said, because we expect more from you. 
I did not like that answer, but I've never forgotten that answer. And I think that is something that we have to remember, that as we seek the Lord and as we grow in our faith, that God is calling us into a deeper and a deeper and a deeper faith. And with that comes higher and higher and higher expectations. To live for him, to surrender to his will, to proclaim his name among the nations. And and I don't want you to misunderstand by what I said earlier. It doesn't just mean you get bigger titles in the church. That has nothing to do with it. It means that you are growing in your relationship with the Lord. And as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you should expect there to be a higher standard to answer to, and that standard is Christ. I wanted to to give you by way of just an example of how Paul kind of explains it in Philippians 3. He says, It is not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which which was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all that means is that that we have to be ready for God to change us. It's not just about us changing us. It's about God changing us and God shaping us, and God molding us, and God conforming our wants and our desires and really our identity to be like Him. And what what God is saying to Israel in this moment is that, listen, how you are living now is not going to be how you live there, but I am going to bring you to that place. And when you get to that place, I want to conform you to my will and my desire. I want you to live in covenant with me. I want you to seek me. And in order for you to be seeking me and seeking my will, you will not be able to live how you are living right now. And let me tell you something. There's a a part of that that makes you think, "Mm, I might like how I'm living right now. I like the friends I have. I like the lifestyle I have. I like the living arrangements I I have right now. I like the job that I have. I like the things I have right now. I'm not sure I'm ready to give those things up. I'm not sure I'm ready for that change. Brothers and sisters, it is worth it. In fact, Paul himself said, I consider the things I have given up for the name of Christ as worthless, rubbish, refuse there may be things in your life right now ways that you are living ways that you are thinking things that you are doing in your life right now that you know do not conform to the will of god and that in those areas of your life you still have an altar set up and you are not seeking the lord And it may very well be today that God is calling you to utterly destroy those things in order to take on and to live in the way that God is calling you to live and you are scared to death at the cost. It is worth it. 
I'll never forget when I rededicated my life to Christ. And I'm going to say this very, very quickly is almost as soon as I started walking with the Lord again, I had a significant portion of my friends that wanted nothing to do with me. It required me losing a a group of friends. I had to move out of the place I was living because I could not live with them anymore. And to a degree, I was not welcome to. I had to break up with my girlfriend of that time. And in the matter of months, my life changed dramatically. From January, February, when I rededicated my life to Christ, to September of October of that same year, my life changed almost completely. New living place, new roommates, new friends, new habits, and in the end of it, a new girlfriend that eventually became my wife. It was worth it. I don't regret it. I don't feel like I missed anything. At the time, it hurt. At the time, I suffered loss. But as I grew deeper into my relationship with my Creator, I realized that what I received was worth infinitely more than what I had to give up. This brings me to kind of my final point of today is that God reminds them in the midst of all of this to seek after him joyfully. Look again at verse 12. He says this, he says, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levite who is within your gate since he has no portion in the inheritance with you. And so once we get to the very end of this and God has brought them in completely into the land and, and they've had that and their relationship is, is established and renewed when they have, they have fought the battles, they have tore down the altars, when all is said and done, there is rejoicing. Notice what, what he promises them in, in the kind of the, the passage in between. It says that he promises them a land for their resting place and for their inheritance. He promised them rest from their enemies and he promised them security that they could live without fear. And what I find so cool about this is we have those same promises through Christ today. God has become our resting place and we have an inheritance in Christ that he is our father and that we are brothers in Christ and we find our rest in him. We find our rest in him. Christ tells us that we may find our rest in him and and, and even in the world of tribulation we can rest in Christ. We have been made secure in our relationship with God through Christ so that we no longer have to fear his judgment and his wrath, separation from God, because we belong to Jesus. Every reason that Israel was given to gather and to rejoice over Yahweh in the land that he had promised, we have today through a relationship with Christ Jesus. We may not always feel like we do. We may feel like we are suffering loss. We may feel like we are on that road. We may feel the the trials and the temptations that come along. But the truth of the matter is, is that his promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And there will come a day when we will step into the fullness of the promises that we have in Jesus. And there will come a day where either we will go to be with Jesus or Jesus will come down to be with us and he will establish a new heaven and a new earth and we will dwell securely and we will rejoice. And the reason why we look to that day that it will all come into fulfillment is because it helps us remember that the road is worth it. 
If you remember the command at the beginning of all of this was seek the Lord. And I want you to seek the Lord because the place that the Lord is taking you, the place that the Lord has for you, the place that the Lord is preparing for you is worth all of the things that we have to do to get there. It is worth casting out the idols. It is worth trusting Him in the change. It is worth rejoicing even though we may not have come into the fullness of it all because He is worth it. So my question for you today, will you joyfully seek after the Lord? Will you look to Him and His Word as you worship with your whole life? Will you remove the things of you in your life that are preventing you? Will you not cut the corners but wholly give yourself unto God? Will you answer the call to go deeper into your faith, deeper into your commitment? Not cutting the corners, but fully surrendering to the will of God in full obedience to Him. Will you grow deeper in your faith and rejoice knowing that the end is worth it? Will you seek the Lord? And will it start today? I have no doubt that we have people all over the spectrum today as it calls to this command to seek the Lord. For those of you that are at a place in your life where you are seeking the Lord with all your heart, teach us. Encourage people. Trust that His promises are true and keep doing what you are doing because you are an inspiration and a motivation to the rest of us. Remember, even when things are hard, that the goal and the end is worth it. If you are seeking the Lord, but, but there is part of you that, that you know you're holding back from the Lord, whether it's a relationship or friendship or job or, or family or, or home or whatever it is, just your comfort, and you know you've built that idol up, I challenge you today, begin the process of tearing it down. It's not going to be something that probably happens overnight, and I understand that. But begin to tear down those idols. And if you're with us today, and you're hearing the call to seek the Lord for the very first time, we want to encourage you as you take that first step. We explain that first step here at Tunnel Hill. Can we bring up the, the circles, Laney? as we begin by recognizing that God has a design. We can even see that in our passage today and the reality that God was calling them into the promised land. There was a, a, an end in mind. There was a design and a purpose to what God was doing, even our passage in Deuteronomy. And we see that from the very beginning because it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created everything, it was good. In fact, it says it was very good. See, the way God created everything, and that includes you and me, was for a purpose and a plan, which means you are here today and you are breathing oxygen because God has a desire and a design for you. See, and the only problem is, is it's us. And we don't always want to do what God's design and God's purpose is in our life, so we create our own design and our own purpose, and that's what sin is. And see, that was the big problem with, 
with the, the nations in Canaan and really the problem with Israel and the problem with us is, is that we always want to do our own thing. We want to create our own design, our own purpose. We want to worship our own gods and worship and do our own thing in our own way. And that's called sin. And the thing is, the sin is going to take us to a place and that place is brokenness. And we feel that brokenness. We feel that when we recognize that we are living how we should live. We're not doing what we should do, that we are not living up to the potential that we should be living up to when we let people down. And sometimes the person we let down is is ourselves. And we all have this feeling of brokenness and we try to do all sorts of things to cover that brokenness. I got to have a conversation with a young gentleman this week and this this came up in, in the midst of that conversation and we were talking about how all the things that they were doing to feel like like they were whole. And, and the young gentleman I was talking to, just just an example, the young gentleman I was talking to was talking about how when I we're gonna we're saving up and we're gonna move to this town. And when we move to this town, then we're gonna feel whole. Then our family's gonna be whole and safe and secure. And we talked about this. We said, listen, the problem with you moving to that town is it's you moving to that town. And the things that make you feel not whole here are going to carry with you to there. And the things that you may not like about here, I guarantee you, you will ultimately find there. See, we try to do all these things to fix our brokenness, but the reality is, is we can't fix our brokenness from our brokenness. And so we need help. In fact, even to take that first step in seeking the Lord, we need help. And that help comes from the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave three days later so that we could have new life in him. So that we could be delivered from our brokenness and begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And I want to tell you how that happens, and that's through repenting and believing. The Bible calls us, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. See, it starts with belief. And believing that, that this call and this command to seek the Lord is something that God is extending to everyone here. And that the only way that's going to happen is through what Christ did on the cross, that Jesus was a real person, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave three days later, and that everything about Jesus is true. If we can believe that, and then we can make him the Lord of our life. And that's really the seeking part. See, the term seek the Lord does not actually mean like he's hiding and you have to go find him. We've had a bunch of kids in our house this weekend, and every so often it gets eerily quiet, and we're assuming that they're tearing something off of the house. And then suddenly we hear, one, two, three. That's not the seeking we're talking about. But the seeking we're talking about is going after, pursuing, following after the Lord. And when we confess Jesus as Lord, we are saying, I am going to begin the process of seeking after God, of following God through Christ. The Bible says if you will do this, if you will believe and then you will make Jesus the Lord of your life, you will be saved. 
and you will be delivered from that brokenness and you will begin to recover and pursue God's design for your life. And that's what it is. You seek the Lord and the Lord works in your life. He tears down the old altars. He changes your life. He shows you the joy of pursuing him and seeking him. And we become to grow more and more to be like Jesus. And that's the invitation for you today. See, the command is seek the Lord. And for all of us, that might mean a different thing in this moment. But if you are ready to take that first step in seeking the Lord, it begins here. By surrendering your life to Jesus and making him the Lord of your life. We're going to sing one more song before we close out our time today. And as we are singing that song, I'm going to be standing right here. If you'd like to talk with me more about what it means to give your life to Jesus, we would invite you to do that. If you are recognizing the altars in your life that maybe need to come down or the, or the ways in your life where you've kind of lost the joy in it and you just need a moment to come and to pray and to take those things to the Lord, these steps are open. I want to tell you something, and I'll probably get in trouble for this. I don't call this an altar because Jesus died on the cross and that was our sacrifice and we don't need an altar to offer any more sacrifices. Let your life be a sacrifice. This is not an altar. These are steps. But you can come here and you can give those things to God. And if you need to do that, we would invite you to do that. If you're here today and you're ready to give your life to Christ and you are scared to death of talking to me because I am a short, bald, scary person, you probably came with somebody that does know how to share the gospel. And I would challenge you, don't leave here today without turning to them and saying, what can you tell me about this? I want to know more. But however God is responding to you, God is calling to you today, I want to invite you to respond. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we know your word is truth. God, we pray that as you move us in the process, Lord, as you call us to seek after you, Lord, that we would be ready and willing to do what that entails. God, I pray for those in this room that have never even taken their first step in pursuing you, Lord, that you would put a burden on their heart, that they would have a desire to know you, and God, that they would know you through Christ Jesus. Father God, for those of us that ha have given our life to Jesus, but we are, are on that road, but, but we still have a ways to go, Lord, I pray that we would not get discouraged. Lord, I pray that, that we would recognize that where we are today is not where you ultimately want us to do, want us to be, but God, you are moving us through a process that you are conforming us to your image, that you are putting away, you are crucifying our old self so that we can put on the new self we have in Christ. And Lord, that that is a process, and Lord, that that means loss, but Lord, the loss is worth it. And God, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would have a renewed desire to seek the Lord, to pursue after you. And that God, through that, we would see our faith deepened, our commitments to you grow, and our lives conformed to the teachings of Scripture. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.